Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. You're listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Get caught up on this week's top stories from the Hash Crew. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Monday's top story. All right, Uniswap. And this is a good one. This is a big story about DeFi (laughs) governance and the wilds of DeFi governance. Now, a little bit of backstory before I toss it to the guests on our show. The, the backstory here is that Uniswap is looking to deploy a version of itself on the BNB chain, right? And associated with that, they need to bridge some aspects of those contracts over to that chain. There's proposals for various bridging solutions to be involved in this. And as such, some of the big backers of these various solutions are coming out to sort of favor their own horse in this race. And it's getting a little bit ugly. So everybody's talking about this one over in Uniswap DeFi governance land. Lots of good stuff to dig into here. I saw Wendy wanting to go in on this one, so I will toss it straight to her. Wendy, what are your thoughts? So I think that this is super cool that we're actually seeing DeFi governance come into play. But another thing about it I don't like is we're talking about a very large, large, large VC firm that spends a lot of money in the industry. So is it really good that they are kind of giving their input? The next thing that I do want to add is that I like Binance Smart Chain because and BNB Chain because it's affordable to use, but there's so many problems over there because that network doesn't seem as secure as some of the other solutions and products that we already have. So I'm kind of glad that they are not going to be deploying that on BNB Chain just for that reason. I know that might be a hot take, but I want to get Will's opinion because he was not in his head. And we see a window in the background. Will, what's going on? You're not confined anymore? Yeah, I'm not in prison anymore. Yeah, I got out, got out of the cell after a few months, which was nice. Uh, Zach, there was a really great opportunity for you to make an old pun there as unicorn in the race, right? And that's the whole issue here with A16Z, Jump Crypto, all these firms. They want to have their own implementation of Uniswap. They want to govern the Uniswap protocol how they want it to be seen. And that includes bridging to different networks. This idea of multi-chain thesis really has come into play over the last few years. It hasn't been as strong as many people want it to be. But there have been a few chains that have had some lasting impact, including BNB. Uniswap is probably the most important protocol built on top of Ethereum itself, or most important dApp, I should say. And so wherever that dApp is going to go has importance, right? Just like you mentioned, 
if Uniswap is going to go to another chain, then you have to add some different functionalities to uh, that other chain. And so you have to have a little disagreement or you have to have an argument about it and figure out how you want to have that deployed. And we see here that A16Z, Jump Crypto, some others like Robot Ventures, they're all sort of figuring out how to do this in a decentralized way using the Uniswap token. Go back to 2020, the Uni token basically was launched out of this idea that they needed to crush other competitors to the Uniswap exchange. They launched this Uni token. A few years later, it's sort of a problem, right? Where some people have too much Uni, some people don't have enough. Is this really the best way to launch a new uh, application on chain is just by voting with Uni token? I don't quite know. One thing to note here is that both these guys have different reasons for wanting Uniswap to be on different chains or not different chains. And that's really because of the bridging aspect. Bridges allow you to move from one chain to another and they're gatekeep at this point. We don't really have good decentralized bridging technology right now. So whoever is controlling the bridge from one chain to another stands to gain probably a decent amount of money or at least an understanding of where that money is going to go and then be able to trade based on top of that. So that's what they're really trying to get to the bottom of here. I think Jump Crypto and A16D have different bets on who's going to win the bridging game. And that's why they're really voting very heavy in this debate. I'm going to throw it to Chris really quick and then throw it back up to Zach. Yeah. Okay. So there were two things that kind of came to mind for me. First off is last year, almost to the day, Wormhole had a massive exploit. And that is a problem that I think has to be addressed in the general scheme of things when it comes to bridges. Bridges are notoriously, I think, <laughs> subject to attack. Every, every other week we're hearing about this and that other bridge having some sort of massive attack. And when I heard Wormhole in the story, my brain immediately went to last year's big attack where they lost a, a ton of money. I mean, sure, that helps with, for security. Now, there are two sides also when, from a tech perspective when it comes to open sourcing technology. On one hand, it gives developers a really awesome chance to look at what they're doing, suggest improvements and all. But there is also the other side of things where with an open source, when you open source everything, it reveals possible exploit attack vectors. And that is something that has always been a bone of contention, especially among security-related products like wallets, for example, hardware wallets, software wallets. Some of them just are really, really antsy about open sourcing their software in a big way because there, there are security concerns, as trade-offs associated with open sourcing. And when it comes to bridges and their, I think, innate vulnerabilities right now, that sounds like a pretty bold move. I understand where they're coming from, and I understand the need for open sourcing, and in many cases, rah-rah. But in this case, I kind of went, hmm, okay, good luck with that. <laughs> Let's see how, how long it takes to have another wormhole exploit. But that was just my, you know, first take on it. Yeah, so worth mentioning, you know, I think it's like wormhole versus layer zero are kind of the two big bridging solutions that are being proposed here, and each have their major backers, right? I think A16Z is sort of in the uh, layer zero camp with Jump being a primary backer of Wormhole, and you mentioned sort of that big famous Wormhole exploit that took place about a year ago. That's certainly a, a big part of this. I think uh, you know this is not a decided process, right? I think the crazy thing about DeFi governance is that you get to see these things play out in real time with stakeholders in these ecosystems putting up their large holdings in these governance tokens to dictate the future of what happens. And I think what people are seeing here unfold is you know potentially some degree of I mean, if you look at like sort of the, 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 the map of like the token holdings that are involved here, you have a giant token holding from A16Z, but you also have some fairly substantial token holdings from other people who are interested in the future of this protocol. 
uh, and how it's going to exist on BNB chain and with what bridge, right? So it is really fascinating to watch these sort of shareholder votes. And I say that with a little bit of caution, knowing that securities lawyers are probably tuned into this part. But you're essentially watching shareholder votes in a big protocol take place in real time. And you get to watch these various potential conflicts of interest emerge around some of these voting blocks, right? Because all these tokens are also liquid and the price of these tokens are often influenced by whatever decision is the ultimate outcome. So it is this sort of really fascinating, I think, new sort of corporate governance that we get to see unfold in real time that leads to strong feelings, big tension, and big stakes on the line. I'm just going to toss this quickly to Will for his last thoughts before we change gears. What do you think? Yeah, last thought on this before I actually take the next story is that we've tried this before in crypto history. So this is not a new thing. It's not new to DeFi by any means, and it's really not new to crypto. Going back to early Bitcoin days, a lot of decisions on how Bitcoin would change was based on flag. So a node could say that I want to change this protocol or I don't want to change this software. Miners would be involved in that as well. It's still basically how they do that. I've seen a lot of different, different protocols in the past try to do this, including Ethereum with some carbon voting ideas. A lot of these things just end up failing at some point. They just don't really work. So it's interesting to see that DeFi continues to pursue this. And right now, you're kind of seeing why it hasn't worked out in the past, right? Big blocks have big voting influences, and they basically can kind of determine where the money is going to go. That doesn't make a lot of people happy. Tuesday's top story. I'm really hungry right now. I should have ate breakfast before this, but let's go ahead and get into this conundrum happening, okay? Ah, U.S. judge rejects Bankman-Fried's bail modification request. So there's a couple different things happening. Also, his attorney, lawyer, says agreement has been reached on use of messaging apps plus other news. Prosecutors have asked that civil fraud cases brought by the SEC and the CFTC against SBF be postponed until after the criminal case against him has concluded. So again, we have the FTX International Chapter 11 bankruptcy, I believe. And somebody please fact check all these court cases because I can't keep up. And then we have the civil fraud cases. And then I think another case brought against him. I don't know. But anyways, legal team and prosecutors asked the court to modify SBF's bail conditions on using electronic communication, asked them to modify so he can make voice calls, FaceTime calls, Zoom, audio, video calls, and use iMessage plus WhatsApp for WhatsApp. His cell phone must have monitoring software installed to record these messages. And just in, a judge rejected the joint request to modify his bail conditions to allow him to use these messaging apps. Jen, help me. Please, there's too many <laughs> cases going on with this. I can't keep so up. I feel like cases. I missed like at least seven cases or counts or I don't know. <laughs> I know. There are so many cases. I think the main takeaway here, though, is that they're filing that the criminal case goes first because the findings in the criminal case will most likely inform what happens in all of the civil cases. So that's what they're asking the judge for. What I think is funny is the specificity of the apps that he cannot use according to the judge. So that's FaceTime, Zoom, iMessage, email, Facebook Messenger, and WhatsApp. I would like to note that Twitter is not included in here and neither are Twitter DMs. And I would just like to lobby that that is taken away from this man along with the blog. I will use every opportunity to say that on this show. And maybe I need to be fact-checked by Zach, but just let me say quickly before I pass it off to you, Zach, I want to point out that both sides asked for him to be allowed to use this. And I think that the prosecution is gathering evidence every time he talks, every time he writes a blog post, every time he says something that goes against what he said in the past. And so I think that's why this was a a joint filing. 
and we'll only have to wait until Thursday until this is brought up. So the judge said it's rejected until Thursday. So I'm sure we'll have more information then. Zach, what do you think? I thought this was America. Let this man speak. Why? Why do we need to limit the flow of information from this person? What's the issue? If he wants to be DMing with journalists, he should be DMing with journalists. If he wants to write a Substack, that's all good too. Reach and out like to you Zach said, Seward for any cuts, type of insight, SPF, well, please. Ways, SPF, get at me, dog. No, anyway. No, it cuts both ways, right? I mean, he can get out there and try to influence the court of public opinion, but he can also just give, like, put out the rope to hang himself, you know? So it cuts both ways. Mm -hmm. He shouldn't be impeded. Let him do his thing. That's all I got to say. I don't see why we should be stipulating how season two of the SBF saga unfolds. And if we cut off the man's logging permissions, it's just going to be worse. Anyway, that's all I got. Will. Remember when we had SBF on the hash? I wonder what. Our reaction yeah, we did. It was around this time. Show. It was. It was, no, it was, a, it was specifically to the Super Bowl. Year. It was specifically to the Super yes. Bowl. It was right after the yeah. Super Bowl, the day after. You want anyway. me to DM him and see if he wants to come on? Yeah. I mean, Control says yes. Control says do it. Yeah. So I think this is the hash, hash was not noted in the, in the, in the legal <laughs> filings. So yeah. unless it's specifically <laughs> prohibited, you know, I think you're good. I think you're good to go. <laughs> I'm for it. I'm for it. We got to bring him back on the show. I think our entire demeanor would change a little bit. We uh, gave him some softballs last time. I think we joked with him about his haircut. And this time we might not be talking about that as much. But I think to Jen's point, it is interesting that some things are available here and some things are not. His sub stack has often been a point of criticism since that happened in November. His uh, interesting ways of doing accounting on Excel spreadsheets has been brought up. Uh, again, I'm still waiting for some sort of podcast. He has till October for all this sort of stuff to unravel and like for the criminal case to move forward. We'll see on Thursday what they end up hearing. I feel like they're going to allow him to have a few different platforms. I mean, he's under house arrest. He only communicates on the internet. This is an internet person. We had that, uh, I forget which publication printed this out, but we had that interview of someone going into the prison cell and talking with him about like his time down in uh, the Bahamas in prison. And he was all about the internet then. Like he had to be on the internet and he was sort of freaking out that he didn't have access to the internet. So I feel like they're going to press really hard for him to be able to get some things here. Wendy, I'll boot it back up to you. You got a smile on or maybe that's a smirk. I just went to the control chat and it's just funny. That's all. <laughs> I'm dead. I don't really have anything Wendy's else to say. laughing about things that have nothing to do with what's going on here. So I don't think. Take... <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday's top story. Zach, you got our first story. Binance is up to something. They're always up to something. Those Binance <laughs> people, Binanceians, you sometimes see them described as. But anyway, Binance, according to this story by Ian Allison, is trying to organize a consortium that's going to bolster the image of crypto. This is according to an unnamed source speaking to Ian Allison of Coindesk. Now, I think the scoffometer might be a little bit high to many a crypto skeptic on this one. I think obviously the image of crypto needs a little bit of rehabilitation in the wake of some major implosions. Binance is still standing. So according to the story, they're going to take it upon themselves to advance that narrative that crypto isn't just a hotbed of scams. Now, for crypto skeptics, they might be doubting the messenger on this one because Binance for a long time has you know, been sort of dodging regulatory mandates in different places hopping from jurisdiction to one jurisdiction to the next. So anyway, like, are all accusations against Binance fair? Absolutely not. Are some of them fair? Yes, some of them are fair. So I think people who see this as being uh, 
kind of silly, have a little bit of ground to stand on, but is an interesting concept and is something that we've seen around lobbying for the positive aspects of the crypto economy, as opposed to those dodgy aspects that we've seen so much of of late. So anyway, that's what this story is. That was a bit of a long prelude to our discussion, but I'm going to toss it straight to uh, Will for his thoughts on finance reportedly trying to make this organization. There'll be no simping from either yourself or me today on Binance, no, so that's good. No, sir. Let's, let's, <laughs> one thing I want to bring up, good to see Ian Allison back on the byline. Love seeing that. Nice little scoop from Ian. Uh, second thing I want to bring up is didn't Binance work on some sort of consortium in terms of like funding for the ecosystem as well? I think they raised like $50 million and they had some larger cap they're trying to work towards. It was a pretty large figure. I don't remember off the top of my head. But that was like in the wake of FTX's collapse. They were trying to raise funds from different partners in the ecosystem to bail out really strong startups that just needed cash. Zach, I saw your hand go back up on that one, so I'll throw it up to you. I think it was the What's bi- the difference the Binance, between the two things? I think it was the Binance billion dollar uh, bailout fund, I believe. So it does ultimately get the same message across, right? Hey, we're upstanding citizens. We're a big player in the crypto economy. We want to be a backstop for projects who are in bad shape. And also, by the way, we want to make this sort of decentralized consortium that can advance the cause of crypto to both users, skeptics, regulators, the world over. But anyway, I don't know what the difference is. One is attached to money, probably has different aims, different terms and conditions. And the other, I guess, is more of a, more of a messaging play. But I don't know. Back to you, Will. Yeah, I mean, it probably is just a messaging play. And hopefully that industry fund actually gets stood up because there is a lot of strong teams out there that just need help with their treasury management. There's some interesting DeFi protocols, for example, that over this bull market, we're allocating really heavily into their native token or other teams' native tokens. And then during a bear market, you take a wash on that because everything trends down 90%. And so I think a lot of teams are needing cash if they're going to stay healthy. And something like this, this brand management front from Binance and getting more people involved in a consortium like this, it can do a lot of good for crypto. Um, We've seen a few teams over the years try to push forward some sort of regulatory scheme, which seems very similar. So that mentioned in this article is Gemini. They tried to push forward something like this in 2019. Uh, Masari has also tried to brand something like this. They're doing a lot of that stuff on the DeFi front. If Binance, with all its money and all its heavy weight, is able to push forward on this, I think that is a good thing for the industry. That being said, a lot of people don't like Binance in the industry. And I'm wondering if people are going to want to actively partner with them. So that's always the, the tough part about being on top, right? Not everyone wants to work with you. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, when I read this, I kind of went to where Zach went. I was like, for so long, Binance was public enemy number one when it came to regulators. And now they're, they're forming this group to be able to influence regulation. And I just wonder how that's going to go. You know, we talk about Binance forming groups to, you know, backstop the industry, influence regulation. FTX was kind of trying to do the same thing. They weren't necessarily trying to get other industry players in, but they were trying to do the same thing. And we saw how that turned out. I wonder how receptive regulators are going to be to something like this, given the macroeconomic state we're in. I'm just curious. And then we see Binance in these like really public spats with other exchanges. It's like on one side, they say they're trying to play nice and get everyone together. And on the other side, we have these really kind of public and seemingly immature spats happening. What do you think, Christy? Well, the first thing that came to my mind in this when I read this article was Uh, the Bitcoin Mining Council that was formed when Bitcoin mining and all the evils associated with it were the story. That's what was the great big evil monster in crypto at that particular point in time before all the other evil monsters came and, and reared their ugly heads. 
And so what was the response? We had the Bitcoin Mining Council. And who was it spearheaded by? Michael Saylor and Elon Musk. They were ones to, like Binance, raise a few eyebrows and people go, oh man, who's really going to get on board with that lot? I mean, Bitcoiners certainly will with Michael Saylor, but you know, Elon Musk has kind of been a bit of a, a shrug the last little while in, in crypto in some circles. So in terms of credibility, I think that we're looking at a very similar situation. However, the Bitcoin Mining Council has actually managed to do some good and has been able to coalesce some data and work with all these companies that have been on the outs with regulators you know, they are beginning to actually get some work done. So who knows? I'm going to be the optimistic one in the bunch here and say that maybe, maybe this consortium is going to be the, be useful. Don't forget also that Binance is not going to be in charge of the group. It's going to be decentralized, they say, as decentralized as it can be. Binance may be spearheading it, but they are not going to be leading it once the consortium is actually uh, gathered. Jen? Am I the only one when you read that this was going to be a decentralized consortium imagined all of these players in some Discord channel trying to like organize themselves? How is it going to be oh, decentralized? Yeah, they're going to be on I some know. island sipping my ties <laughs> talking it over. It's going to be another uh, Satoshi roundtable, but you know, with, with this game. Before we toss it back to you, Christy, for the next story, I just wanted to shout out good knowledge on the Bitcoin Mining mm. Council. It has been a while. Wow, good callback. Thursday's top story end of an era. Pour one out for local Bitcoins. After a 10-year run, which is ages in crypto time, Bitcoin exchange local Bitcoins is calling it quits, citing current market conditions and the prolonged crypto winter. Really quite a sad development for long-time observers of the space. Local Bitcoins is one of those early peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplaces that really spoke to sort of the original ethos of Bitcoin, uh, less intermediated by big companies, more about that peer-to-peer trading Uh, that was initially envisioned for the original cryptocurrency. Local Bitcoins, I think, saw a lot of uh, early growth in emerging markets. And now, unfortunately, they are closing shop. Really sad to see, but it becomes another victim of the latest crypto downturn. I'm going to toss this to Adam for his thoughts and a bit of historical perspective on this. Yeah, uh, you you nailed it there. (laughs) So, I mean, local Bitcoins was kind of really, really important in the early ecosystem because there really wasn't any infrastructure. But the era of time where you can use a service like that and not have it be more risk than it's worth, I think is pretty much over. I think that, again, you get these kind of like frontier boomtown type of vibes from new technologies where it's like, we know that these solutions don't work very well, but it's the best that we have. And we're so motivated that we'll jump through all the hoops. Well, today, you don't have to jump through the hoops in order to do that. So it's not surprising to me both that we've seen kind of a drop off uh, of demand, which then led to a spiral, which led to it making sense for them to shut the thing down. So it's sad in that it indicates that we're no longer in kind of this Wild West phase that we were for a very long time. But on the other hand, I have to say, I'm pretty happy to see us continuing past that. I think that this is the time, you know, uh, in the next couple of years, 10 maybe, where we start to see this stuff really matter. So end of an era for sure, but not sad about that at all. Will? Yeah, quick take, then I'll hand it over to Jen. I totally agree with you on this. And I don't want to get too far into like the introspection on the whole local Bitcoins topic, because it is sad, right? Like it's frustrating that like a project like this has to close shop. But that's what happens when you see tech adoption. Uh, decentralized players, they're big now. It's really easy to onboard to Coinbase or to Binance or another centralized player. It's simpler in a lot of cases than using local Bitcoins or something like that. 
And then you don't have like a lot of the other risks that are associated with something like this. Local Bitcoins is great because basically allowed you to find another peer to trade Bitcoin for USD or something else, you know, just swap Bitcoin for whatever. And you could do it locally, which is like a great part about this. There's some downsides to that as well, though, right? Like you're taking on security risk. Uh, there's always risk of like physical damage from somebody, those sort of things. In the US, local Bitcoins was not exactly a loved product, right? There's a lot of stories going back in Bitcoin's history where People were using local Bitcoins and then the feds tracked him down and said, hey, this is kind of like money laundering, except we're using this thing called local Bitcoins and we're not big fans of that. So to see a centralized players come in and squeeze them out on just on the volume terms, it really was a conclusion unto itself. Uh, this was going to happen at some point unless local Bitcoins was able to have some sort of new tech edge that came out and that didn't come to pass. Jen, over to you. Yeah, I agree with everything everyone has said. You know, 10 years is a lot older than most firms we come across in the space, right? And, you know, a few weeks ago, I was on this whole regenerative kick. And this story brought me back to that, right? I think at the beginning of this bear market, SEC Commissioner Hester Peirce said, you know, the companies that aren't going to make it, we should allow them to not make it so that new companies can come in and solve these, all of these challenges and pain points that we're trying to solve so that we can get that mainstream adoption. And this is what I see here. I know it's the end of an era, but the team that's working on local Bitcoins and has been working on that for a really long time now has the opportunity to work on different things and bring other projects to life that are going to survive as we move into the future. So a bittersweet story for me, but Adam, I'll give it back to you for last thoughts. Yeah, I, I just want to pour one out metaphorically for all of the awkward conversations in coffee shops where you're sitting there waiting 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes for that 10 minute average block time uh, to hit. So you get that one confirmation <laughs> where you can actually take the person's money <laughs> or the other way around, because there were a lot of those in the early days and it wasn't a ton of fun, but it is interesting to think back to how simple things were at that time. Zach? All right, spicy take before we move gears. Did ordinals kill local Bitcoins? Is this the <laughs> passing of the torch what? in terms of Bitcoin's usability and what will captivate users' interest going forward? I think maybe. I think maybe Bitcoin NFT protocol ordinals is what was the ultimate but death knell of the peer-to-peer -peer marketplace. She just wanted this. to bring ordinals up. It makes the most sense. That's all that happened. Yeah, I know. Zach will yeah, take every exactly moment to bring more. <laughs> you gotta stay timely. You gotta stay timely, guys. Come on now. Come on now. Okay, I got All a different right, spicy take. Oh, okay, you got one? Okay. Well, one, one quick spicy take that actually tops yours, I think, and actually makes a little bit more sense if I can't say so. I think a lot of these like Bitcoin maximalist only products, this is the first one that's going to tip over, and we might see more of these, right? Like these really crazy hardware wallets are so hard to use and nobody wants to use them. This was one of them, really, like local Bitcoins was for Bitcoiners. And this is going to be maybe the beginning of a lot of those products failing. I, I think we're moving into uh -oh. multi-chain thesis. Centralized players are bigger than ever. I don't know. That's my take. Zach. It leaves Paxful and that really jacked founder that we talked about not long ago <laughs> as oh, the remaining peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin marketplace. We'll see if Paxful can step up and pick up the slack. You've been listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. <laughs>